Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. This is Monday, June 7th, 2021, and I am your host, Kevin McDonald, bringing you more content from our show from last Friday night. We already shared with you our line opinion panel discussions, which covered everything from uh, vaccine sweepstakes here in New Mexico, the chance to win some money for getting your vaccine. We also talked about Melanie Stansberry's big win in the CD1 special election, as well as the just soaring number of homicides here in Albuquerque and how we're addressing all of that. And uh, we encourage you to go back and give that a listen if you haven't already. But here in this episode, we want to kick things off with a really interesting interview we did with Dean Hansen, who just recently retired as photo editor of the Albuquerque Journal. He's been here since the 1980s, uh, taking pictures and documenting history here for the state's flagship newspaper. So no doubt he's got a lot of great stories to tell. He shared a lot of his photographs with us, and we encourage you to head to our website or Facebook or YouTube uh, to see those photos. They're just excellent snapshots in time, and all of them have great stories. And you're going to hear Dean talk about some of that, as well as what brought him here to Albuquerque. So here's that interview. Dean sat down with our senior producer, Matt Grubbs. Dean Hansen, thanks so much for coming in. Um, so mid-80s, 1986, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you're looking for a new job, um, and you're in Fort Wayne, Indiana. What, what about the Albuquerque Journal brought you here? Well, I was aware of the photography the Journal did back in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I attended a photojournalism workshop in Missouri, and I met a couple of guys from the Albuquerque Journal. Uh, it seemed like a real different world. I'm originally from farm country, Fort Wayne, Minnesota, Grand Forks, and I thought if I'm ever going to make a real change in my life, this would be the time to do it. I had never been to New Mexico. I didn't really know anybody, but I thought this sounds like a great opportunity to really make a different change in my life. And boy, did it turn out that way, I'm sure. Uh, Who knows how it happened. You just show up for work one day and all of a sudden it's 35 years later and you go, where did that go? It was so much fun. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's one of those things that I think um, it's hard to explain to people, um, you know, why do you why do you do this? Why do you keep doing this when the industry is shrinking or something like that? But, you know, it's so funny. I have seen so many changes over the years. When I was a kid, I started out shooting pictures with a Polaroid camera. It was called a Polaroid Swinger. And you'd pull out the little photos and look at them. Well, that's pretty cool. (laughs) I eventually got a real camera through high school, shooting 120 roll film, 35 millimeter, color slide, color negative, digital scanning. It's changed a lot. I don't see it changing as much from here on out. Sure. Yeah, that that switch from film to digital was just was massive. Well, um, you've been kind enough to share some of some of your favorite images, some notable images, um, some ones that make you laugh. So if if you'd indulge us, we'll just sort of go through them. Um, Johnny Tapia. I mean, I don't know that there's a more iconic New Mexican for a lot of people. Tell us about this one. You know, 
he had a lot of trouble, but to anybody who knows him or knew of him, he was a great guy. Um, this, I happened to go down to Rio Doso at one time. He has his own gym down there. And every time he'd see me, he'd give me a hug and call me brother. And I'm like, Johnny, really? I'm just a camera guy. And he goes, no, it's always great to see you. So he was a, a really good soul. Yeah, what a, what a you know, <laughs> There's, there's no one in that business, I'm sure, without ego, but that also gets foisted upon you. You get nicknames, and next thing you know, you have your mural at your own gym. Kind yes, of yes. I think I'm going to do that at home. There you go. That's no. great. <laughs> um, so this next one, um, this was actually not in New Mexico, right? This yes, was... this was in Denver, uh, I want to say 1993, when uh, Pope John Paul II came to, I believe it was the World Youth Day. It was a series of meetings for Catholic youth in Denver. And of course, it was quite a deal waiting in the pouring rain to see who was gonna show first. Apparently there's a protocol. One lands, one hides, one gets off the plane, then the other comes out. Interesting. But the youth were so enthusiastic, they wouldn't stop applauding. And that's when the president turned and applauded him too. That's great. And clearly touched by it. Yeah. Is it, is it um, I know those kinds of events are so ordered and mm -hmm. so formal that it's um, sometimes hard to get the feel of the event because you're just sort of in this little, in this little pen. Were you able to sort of Well, you know, when you wait so long and it rains, then kind of all bets are off because well, maybe we will get something different. You never know. It's the, the variables that make it interesting. Sure, sure. Um, so this next one, <laughs> this one. So this is Gary Carruthers, right? Yes, Gary Carruthers. Oh, that must have been in the 80s. He and his wife were taking a tour of New Mexico in his classic Mustang in order to promote tourism in the state. And up at Coronado Monument, uh, he got to try on the Conquistadors outfit. Okay. <laughs> this, we were laughing when we talked about this before. It's sort of Dukakis in the tank almost. Right. But he was, he's always such a good character, a very nice guy. And he was up for anything photo-wise, maybe not as cautious as <laughs> people are today. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this next one is, a, is an example of that. Um, so this is obviously an elementary school, must have been here in Albuquerque. Yes, uh, I think this was read to me day and the governor was reading green eggs and ham to these students and it made such a nice picture. She had her hat on too, but she set it on the floor and took it off when she saw the camera. <laughs> I thought, well, I really would like you with your hat on, but they make decisions. That's the difference between her and Gary Johnson. I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah. Gary Carruthers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And I recall, um, you know, when John Kerry came through here, Bill Richardson mm -hmm. took him through um, one of the, just kind of the, the touristy Western shops. Right. And um, somebody was telling me a story about he grabbed a hat, a cowboy mm -hmm. hat, and started to put it on mm -hmm. and then thought better of it and set it down. Yes, they calculated <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah, so it doesn't matter the party, that's for sure. Uh, well, obviously there are going to be some somber ones in here. Um, so this is, this is Oklahoma City. Um, how, 
back in the day, you know, newspapers, mm -hmm. especially the Langs, because they had access to a plane of their own, they would go everywhere. They would send right. everywhere, right? And it was a real interesting when you'd get a phone call and say, you got to head to Cutter Aviation right now. They're getting the jet fueled up. And you always knew what it was because if it was big, we were going to go. Sure. Uh, Oklahoma City was, people there were concerned that their city would get a bad reputation because this happened there. I was pretty astonished. I heard a radio station call out for knee pads, elbow pads, gloves for the rescue workers. And this went to this lot and this mountain of equipment just appeared. Hmm. And I shared that, shared that story and said, do you really think us telling this story is gonna hurt the reputation of your city? Absolutely, <laughs> sure. So here they're, they're clearing floors, you said, and they would, they would hang that flag out. As yes, they once there was no one left cleared. on it. Sure. So here's one, uh, a real notable event that I didn't clue into until you walked me through this picture, but this was um, sometime after, right? Yes, this was in the aftermath of Katrina in New Orleans. And the only telltale thing is that oily line on the building. These two gentlemen are rehabbing, I guess it was a daycare center. Okay. And they were taking a break and something about that line told me, you know, was kind of iconic of how deep the water had been there. Sure, sure. Well, we, um, one of the things, you know, that, that you notice is you have an eye for regular people. Um, and this is, this is a great one. You're laughing because everyone knows where this fence is in Albuquerque, right? This is probably the most photographed fence in Albuquerque. All the staffers have done it. I've done it with homeless people pushing shopping carts, people on bicycles, uh, people walking by with umbrellas in the rain. I just love this fence. The simplicity of it just catches your eye all the time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, this one, of course, the, the legislature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is a group of clowns waiting for maybe 4th of July parade to begin in Rio Rancho years ago. I may be the only person that loves clowns, but <laughs> I just think they're so cool. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, just this moment of regularity with them um, is a lot of fun. Um, this one, of course, just the juxtaposition of voting a couple days after Halloween. <laughs> yeah, then the old Rio Rancho was at the Civic Center Auditorium. They'd had a haunted house in there the week before, but they left the painting on the wall. And so I saw a picture there. You just move it around and get the arrow in the right place. Right, right, exactly. This one I love. <laughs> I don't, how did you see this? Uh, you know, the thing is, I saw him every day, every school day. He was a crossing guard and he'd, stand there and jam out to his own music. Uh, the crossing sign bothered me a little. I should have cropped that out, and then I thought, no, that tells the whole story of why he's there. Sure, sure. And yeah, it's fantastic, definitely. Um, some of these are, are just um, 
really terrific. This one, of <laughs> course, <laughs> there's a great story behind this. We're, we're okay, at, of course, so, almost out of time, but go okay. ahead. No, I pulled into the Taco Bell and saw the guy painting and I saw him come down two windows over and I thought, oh, I missed the picture. And then he moved the ladder to the next window and did that one, moved it. To, by then I'm out re realizing my cheesy potato burrito can wait. And then I shot this picture. That's terrific. But to see it come together, when I first saw him coming down, oh, he's finished, I mixed it. And then he moved it to the <laughs> next window. Oh, okay, that's, I'll take this. That's a happy moment for sure. He must have loved that. Yes. That's, that's, that's wonderful. This one, of course, um, especially now, you're not gonna go a, a year without shooting celebrities or some sort of movie. So. Right. And this was uh, Ray Seahorn and Bob Odenkirk shooting Better Call Saul. And I don't think what comes across on their TV show is how much these two enjoy working together. They genuinely have a chemistry and work off each other. And this is after a scene? Yeah. Okay. The camera isn't rolling. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. Dean, we're almost out of time, but I want to get to, um, I'll, I'll go through some of these and we'll, we'll take some time right. um, and do a web extra. Um, but some of your court shots, um, obviously here with, with Nigel Benner, here with an, uh, an aunt of a victim. Um, but this shot, this, this is one that, that really gets me as, as being. Yes, and we've seen this so many times in the court when a young offender is accused of a serious crime and the pain in his mother's face. We don't know the backstory, but this is something we don't always realize is how much this hurts the family, you know, of the accused, not just the victim's family. So. And you see that in a, in a courtroom a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a fairly sterile environment, but there is emotion to be found, certainly. Yes, there is. Man. Well, Dean, thank you so much. As I said, we'll take some extra time and we'll, we'll put that online for folks and get through the rest of these, but thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed talking with you again, Matt. You bet. And we're not done with Dean Hansen just yet. There's never enough time on air for all the things we wanna to get to. So Dean was uh, fortunate or he was gracious enough to stay with us a little bit longer and he and Matt continue the conversation. They talk about some more his photographs. And again, you can see samples of all of that on our Facebook and uh, YouTube or our website, NewMexicoInFocus.org. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, just great stories. You know, this is everything from capturing wildlife pictures here in uh, the state to uh, historical um historical landmarks, historical events that have happened, wildfires, also just slices of everyday life. And Dean's covered it all. He's seen it all. Just great stories. And he and Matt will also talk about what it was like dealing with photojournalism during the pandemic and how he went about leading the team of talented photojournalists over at the Albuquerque Journal. So hear more now, more with Dean Hansen, the newly retired photo editor at the Albuquerque Journal. Dean Hansen, recently retired photo editor of the Albuquerque Journal. Thanks for spending some extra time with us. Um, as, as we thought we might, during the show we ran out of time to talk about some of these images. Um, 
what is it about shooting everyday scenes that, that you so enjoy? Well, there's a lot going on in the world, and there is a whole lot more good and decency than there is ugly in the world. Unfortunately, in the news business, we tend to bring you the ugly. I need to remind people that it's still pretty good out there. The things that we aren't dwelling on that are tragedy are, are normal people just going on about their normal lives. And uh, I find that fascinating. Sure, and uh, a privilege to have a paper. These are all, these aren't just photos from your personal collection. These are things that ran in the paper, you know? So there's clearly um, value to that. Well, and we're so lucky here in New Mexico and Albuquerque and having a newspaper like the Albuquerque Journal. It doesn't belong to a chain. It isn't owned by a corporation. All the decisions made for this newspaper are made in that building on Jefferson. That's why we're only accountable to the people. Um, we're not accountable to shareholders. This is why we get to do things with photography that's a little different than other newspapers. And I'm really thankful that we still have a place for this kind of photograph in our newspaper. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, obviously, we're all thinking about um, the COVID-19 vaccine, mm -hmm. but this is the, the simple flu mist that for kids <laughs> this age goes up the nose, unfortunately. Yes, and this was uh, an event. I don't know if it was put on by the governor's office or what, but I mean, here you just wait for your picture. When kids this age are gonna get something shot up their nose, I mean, how easy is it? Right. <laughs> That's terrific. I love that one. This is one that, that you pointed out to me. There are a lot of elements to this. Yes, uh, one of these women is a breast cancer survivor and the other is her friend who supported her. And I'm not gonna tell you which is which. <laughs> um, they're just so full of life and so beautiful. Uh, one of them had this mural, I don't know if you recognize it, in the backyard of a phoenix rising. And uh, you meet people and spend time with people like this, and it just makes you feel good. It fills your tank. It replaces everything that is drained away from the negative. Sure, absolutely. I can certainly see that. And then we have another one here. So, so this is one, um, as we transition into our, our court phase, mm -hmm. um, there's humor to be found everywhere. <laughs> there really is. Uh, this is Dr. Patricia McFeely with this, what was it, the Office of the Medical Investigator. And I'd photographed her on the stand with her, you know, dummy skeleton numerous times pointing at things. But that's not funny. Homicide trials aren't funny. Absolutely, yeah. But when you see her sitting in the hallway waiting to testify, you're finding some humor in a difficult situation. Sure, yeah, it's that human side of, right. of people that we may, may not think of. Um, this one is interesting um, because this is, this is right at a verdict, right? Right. Okay. This is uh, down in Los Lunas when uh, the uh, killer of Rio Rancho police officer, 
Nigel Benner was convicted. And these are his fellow Rio Rancho police officers. I was sitting on the bench in front of them looking at the defendant. And then when they read guilty on all counts, I swung around with a different camera with a wide angle lens knowing there'd probably be a reaction behind me. Sure. Sure. Boy, that is a tough, I mean, because you're right there, right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> man, that is uh, a ton of emotion. This one, I, boy. This is, I'm still not sure how this came together. It was a, a video arraignment. You can just see them on the TV of the person accused of a crime. And this is the aunt of the victim. And for some reason, she came over the rail and went after someone. These are really tough situations where on one side of the courtroom, you have the family and friends of the victim, and on the other side of the courtroom, you have the family and supporters of the defendant. And there's always stuff going back and forth, and security does a really good job, but occasionally the emotions just get too much for people. Sure, absolutely. Um, this one we talked about during the show, but, but worth mentioning again just for I think um, regardless of how much attention you pay to the news, there's probably always that one kid that you can think of and that one crime, you yeah. know, and, and it just seems to play out again and again and again. It does, and it's, I don't know, I guess people don't learn lessons from others' misfortunes, but I mean, 30, 35 years, you hear these crimes, then you hear the hunt, then you hear the, the arrest, then months later, the trials that go on and on and on. Yeah, uh. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to it. Absolutely. So here, um, you've taken your, your fair share of animal pictures, I'm, right. I'm certain. This one I love. It's well, this was a day I was going to go to oh, the Ladd Wildlife Preserve south of Berlin. And I thought, well, this is going to be a bust. It's overcast and gray. Because usually when you're going to go do birds and wildlife, you want beautiful sun and blue skies. Well, this way it worked in my favor. Uh, somehow the light dissipated, the fog and it lit them from all sides, and you could see detail, which you normally wouldn't see. So I'm pleased with that. It was hard to tell that last one, catch up, catch up, but okay, you'll have to do. That's right, exactly. <laughs> uh, this one, I, I know a lot of us have seen pictures of Klein's Corners, but probably not like this. Yeah, uh, for some reason we had hoarfrost, and I stopped at Klein's Corner, and as I got out of my car, I saw all these, I guess they're crows, because you wouldn't see ravens together like that, but for some reason they just belonged on that tree and they spaced themselves out in a good way. That's terrific. Uh, <laughs> the biopark assignment, I'm sure, is yes, one that when the, when the Tasmanian devils first came in, I mean, they're lovely creatures, and he's not quite as in focus as I'd like, but the, <laughs> The teeth are sharp. When they get angry, their ears turn bright red and they hiss. And I mean, how can you not love a creature like that? That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so good. 
Oh, this one, this one is, is great. So this, this I thought was a picture of a painting. Yeah, no, this was just an experiment in a studio. I had never done this before and I wanted to try. I did it in total darkness, opened the shutter, and then I used a small pen light and painted around the flower. Anything lit was hit with light. What's dark didn't get as much light, but it was a really fun technique to do. Something a little different. It gives a kind of a three-dimensional quality to the paint, to the photograph. Absolutely. So does this, um, did this run in an arts guide or a special section? Yeah, we, it went with our, uh, I want to say our spring home and garden section we okay. did. I think I did four different flowers this way. Oh, fun. But I like the tulip the best. Yeah, yeah, that's a terrific one. Um, our last little bit that we'll talk about here obviously is, is fire, which is gonna be a big part of life, I would imagine here in the next few weeks for us all. Um, this is Las Conchas? Right, and uh, the fire is burning down Los Alamos Canyon from uh, Via Caldera. And uh, it's, it's, they're just keeping an eye on it to see, is it gonna come through Los Alamos again? And okay. thankfully it didn't. But the interesting, you know, this is a perfectly adequate picture of the forest fire, but then I looked and his, I saw another picture in there, his knee pointed right to it. And uh, I just can't get over the beauty of a forest fire. I know they're supposed to be destructive, this to me looks like almost a good forest fire. Things aren't flaring, the ground is clearing. And uh, I think it'll come back even stronger in this case, but I just loved how the smoke and the haze came together in that picture. Sure, you were um, telling me that the ones that most often make the news, whether that's the TV news or the um, or the paper are the ones with flames. Right. Um, but after the flames are gone, there is there's something there to, to be seen, for sure. There really is. And uh, it's just the ethereal beauty of, of the smoke and the haze and the layers you see in front of each other. Oh, and yeah. You have to acknowledge a forest fire can be beautiful. Sure. Um, well, the last thing I wanted to get to um, was this idea of being photo editor, which you were mm -hmm. for your last years at the Journal, um, during the pandemic, um, how did that change the way you operated, your concern for your photographers, that sort of thing? That was a big change when it came basically out of nowhere. I mean, we are shooting the state high school basketball tournament, and the next thing you know, they're playing it without any people. Um, I think it transitioned, we saw a few masks, then it went completely away, and then the question became, how far is this gonna go? What are we gonna do different? My biggest concern was keeping the photographers safe. They had to be out in it, working in it every day. So we kind of developed our own little bubble within the department, I switched schedules, so they would come in at different times and go out at different times, so there'd never be three of us in the office at the same time. Uh, they took vehicles home. Everywhere they went, we were constantly checking in. I would say to them, you know, here's what I'm gonna have you do, or this is the visual possibility. 
are you comfortable with this? I told everybody, if in any case you feel the least or at any amount in danger, just walk away. And we had uh, Roberto Rosales went out to the Navajo Reservation. Eddie Moore worked within the actual emergency rooms of hospitals. And uh, we produced some pretty amazing work for a staff our size. I'm very proud of the work they did. Now we're fully immunized and it's like this, we've gone through a gateway and everything has changed. So now we can see life come back to normal and we'll, we'll see what comes next. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and it sounds like you're probably not done. You've, you have some ideas for things at the journal. And well, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, in the past, the photo department kind of tracked the web. We were on kind of parallel universes, and with my leaving, they're integrating the photo department into the actual web mm. so that there will be better use of photographs. Um, and uh, we have such a talented staff. You need to remember that newspapers are the ones that are paying to produce the news about their communities. Facebook has made a fortune monetizing the work of newspapers, much to the de detriment of newspapers. So it's really critical that people subscribe to the Albuquerque Journal, abqjournal.com. <laughs> You'll see our photographs. Um, a lot of work that doesn't get in print now is on web in forms of galleries and slideshows. So if you've always liked the photography in the journal, there's a lot of it. And please look at our pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dean, we'll leave it there, but thank you so much for spending mm -hmm. all this time. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right, next up on this episode is an interview with Cynthia Jaramillo. She heads up Albuquerque Economic Development, and they have a new program they're calling Home for Life, which looks to leverage what's traditionally been a low cost of living and affordable housing market here in Albuquerque. So this Home for Life Home for Life seeks to lure former residents, remote workers here to New Mexico. It's in part an advertising campaign targeting places in California and other uh, likely markets. And Cynthia is going to talk about how they're looking to even expand that into other markets. But it led us uh, to think and really ask the question about how this program is geared the strategy behind it, considering that we are already seeing that Albuquerque is an overcrowded, really a seller's market right now. Uh, I'm sure those of you who, who are looking for housing right now have seen that. If you know someone who has, houses are going quick. They're going for above asking prices. Housing prices are up 20% year to year. And so it's an interesting strategy, especially when you consider that if you're moving from California or other places, uh, and you've sold a house there, our housing prices uh, will look like nothing compared to that. And so we wanted to get down to the heart of whether or not this is putting a pinch on those of us who are already in Albuquerque 
um, and uh, what the impacts of that will be and just what uh, sort of development, their strategy for economic development. And this is an issue we're going to look at from a bunch of different ways in the coming weeks, but we kick things off here with the interview with Cynthia Jaramillo from Albuquerque Economic Development. Once again for that, here's senior producer Matt Grubbs. Cynthia Jaramillo, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to, to join us. I wanted to start with um, who you're targeting Home for Life to. Um, you said when you um, sort of revealed the expansion of the program that you're looking at um, people who used to live in Albuquerque and people who can work remotely. What's, what's the thinking behind those folks? Sure, certainly. Happy to, to jump in and talk about some of the goals and the targets. So we, we received very promising early data for the campaign. And like you mentioned, we've expanded our Albuquerque Home for Life campaign from four to 11 target cities. Uh, the campaign is now also targeting San Francisco, Denver, Phoenix, Dallas, Seattle, New York, Boston, and Washington, D.C. Um, and program performance measurements really uh, show interest and engagement above national averages for um, advertising metrics. So in, in just six weeks, the, the campaign's uh, digital ads received almost 34 million impressions and have resulted in nearly 100,000 visitors to the Albuquerque Home for Life website. And so the, the two target audiences are the, the remote worker who can really work from, from anywhere, um, anywhere uh, across the globe, frankly, and also those boomerangers, those that have left, um, maybe they graduated from New Mexico State or the University of New Mexico or tech, and they decided to, to leave Albuquerque. Um, and so we are looking to engage um, those that lived here, um, we're, we're looking for them to, to move home. Okay. Um, and you mentioned that early success, sort of getting eyeballs on the campaign. Um, what are the metrics that you're going to be looking toward now as the program gets a little bit more mature um, in terms of actually getting people not just looking at the website, but, but making moves here? Sure. So, so one thing, so some of the, so total impressions, I'd like to mention just, just very briefly, since the campaign launch, um, total more than 27 million. And so when, so these strong early metrics and major announcements from, from Intel, Netflix, Orion, Amazon, among, among others, really indicate that our efforts to bring jobs and workers to bring the workforce to Albuquerque are really are starting, you know, this this decade on a far stronger path for growth than 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 last. And some of our future plans um, include so so this summer we're expanding our reach to a number of film festivals across the, the country. Uh, the next one being the Sedona International Film Festival. And as the campaign continues and grows, um, we, will, we will analyze the data and make strategic decisions about next steps, you know, as far as increasing the campaign's impact um, in certain cities, um, you know, backing off in some markets will happen or expanding to, to a new set of, you know, geographic areas and, and really, and so we will, we will analyze as we move forward, 
um, with our partners over at Esparza. Um, we will look at the data and if we need to pivot, again, backing off in some markets or expanding to, to a new set of geographic areas. Okay, and who will keep track of who's actually moving here? Oh, that, that's a good question. So that those are things that, you know, this is, you know, I'd like, I like to say, and many of us in economic development um, really refer to economic development as being a really long game. And so when it comes to, to measuring the success of this, this campaign, I mean, we will, we will see successes in, you know, um, it, in the, the nearing near year, but also the, the really the goal is in total success is going to happen over time, and will happen probably over the next ten years. Okay, okay, and so you'll see sort of the demand for city services, um, real estate market, that sort of thing. Absolutely, our real estate partners, associations, our partners over at Albuquerque Economic Development. Um, again, some of the apartment associations, and again, yeah, the, our realtor partners um, will be very critical in measuring the success of the campaign. Okay, okay. Um, I, obviously, the housing market is a big deal. Um, anyone who's shopping for a home right now in Albuquerque is having a tough time. They're paying, according to the um, Association of Realtors, um, almost everyone is paying asking price. Uh, quite a few people are paying more, um, which is an issue. And the median home price rose 20% uh, year over year in April. Um, there's a, a question I think that needs to be asked about, is it wise to bring more people into that market when we clearly don't have enough housing stock? Well, from, from an economic development perspective and back to uh, you know, the recruitment and expansion of companies like um, uh, recruitment of, of Amazon and ex, you know, uh, Netflix and the expansion of several uh, space technology and manufacturing companies. We really, you know, it is our, our role, not only in my department, but the other economic development organizations um, throughout the city and state. It is our role to make sure that they have a robust workforce and that pipeline, um, you know, um, has you know, as our efforts are to bring jobs, you know, we, ha we have to make sure that we're also skilling up workers who live in Albuquerque and throughout the state, but that we're also recruiting workforce in order to, to maintain, um, you know, those, those companies that I, meant, that I mentioned earlier. And, and but back to, to your question, I mean, it'll be, it'll be, it's incumbent upon us and our partners in economic development to work with, um, you know, our, our developers to ensure that, you know, that there, there is housing um, available as we recruit the workforce to, to Albuquerque. Sure. To the extent that you, that you track that, are you able to, um, I guess, do you have a feel for how soon the housing market um, will begin to ease? Um, I, I know there are a bunch of factors at play there, and you mentioned that, that success for you will play out over the course of maybe a decade. I can't imagine this housing market sustaining itself for, for a decade. Um, everyone will just sell eventually, but um, how, how does that dynamic play out? Well, sure, um, great question. And um, as we move into the second phase of the campaign, um, those are, those are um, things that we will evaluate. And um, at that point, you know, again, back to, you know, we may, 
as the you know population begins to grow in Albuquerque and we we continue to recruit workforce to to the city and to the state, um, we'll have to pivot and we'll have to to include um, you know housing as part of our um, strategic initiatives and economic development. And so I can't say how that it'll play out in the next couple of months, but it will will definitely will be a part of phase two in the campaign. And happy to to come back to. To, to you and share more as that that strategy is being um, uh, worked on and built out. Sure. Um, what do you hope these folks do, especially the um, the telecommuters? Um, what do you hope that they do once they're in Albuquerque? Say you get a successful person. What's sort of a, a, a best case scenario for you for the person who moves here? What do they bring to the city? Oh, um, you know, so so great question. Um, you know, so so we we do know that Albuquerque is poised to to really meet this current um, moment. You know, thanks to to many of our our strengths. You know, we talk a lot about the great outdoors. You know, four seasons, a wonderfully you know temperate climate, three hundred plus days of sunshine. You know great you know albuquerque is really a dream for outdoor enthusiasts and and the city is home to an array of recreational options from hiking golfing skiing um and so so, so truly you know what we're looking is we, we want that remote worker to not only you know make albuquerque home but we want them to bring you know that so a remote worker that brings a, a job with them to albuquerque i mean the ultimate goal is for them to, to spend money in our city and to contribute to to gross receipts taxes and to you know to to frequent our um local restaurants and and maybe a remote worker will temporarily temporarily, you know, reside in one of our hotels and then eventually decide to, to, to move here permanently. And, and so the goal always of economic development is to bring outside money into the city and into the state. And so the same goal, same, same goal, you know, the goal remains with the remote worker is for them to bring their, their work with them and their money from outside of the, the city and outside of the state. And we want them to, to again spend money in our local restaurants, um, frequent our small businesses, and um, and again ultimately make Albuquerque uh, their home for life. And some some remote workers will they'll bring their job with them, you know, their remote work. Um, but they may they may find another opportunity with a company that maybe we've recently recruited to Albuquerque. Okay, okay. Um, if we could just take uh, about a minute here and think a little bit more broadly, um, obviously we have constraints um, in terms of things like water. Um, uh, I look at the vista behind you and, and the west side obviously has room to grow, um, but the, the east side is sort of smack up against the mountains. Is there a way to think about economic development um, that doesn't involve necessarily growing population? Um, I know that's certainly the traditional way to do it. Um, but is there a way to find that outside money that um, might not necessarily rely on bringing more people? Sure, certainly. I mean, absolutely. You have, we have so many, um, not only tech startups, but creative startups in, in the city of Albuquerque and throughout the state. And in addition to recruiting new businesses and recruiting workforce to the city, um, we want to recruit investment. And so, in it, you know, as as we launch this campaign, the goal is also to to you know catch the eye of the investor who is looking to invest in the next you know 
most innovative startup. And so that is another way is to seek investment outside of the city and outside of the state. Um, and, and if we can, we can find, you know, outside investment to support our locally homegrown um, tech and creative startups. Absolutely. That's another way to, to promote um, economic development without um, necessarily, uh, you know, recruiting new workforce or new people to move to the city. Sure, sure. Well, Cynthia Jaramillo, we look forward to catching up with you a, a few months down the road to see how things are going, but we thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, already hard at work for this week's New Mexico in Focus episode. We mentioned it some on the last episode, but we want to encourage you to, to tune in for that. Uh, this coming Friday, we have the return of our land with our environmental reporter, reporter Laura Paskis. And this week is all about wildfires. Uh, this is 10 years since the Los Conscious wildfires, so we're going to look back at that and what we've learned and what we've done since then here in New Mexico to deal with wildfires. So very timely report there. We encourage you to check out that. We're also going to take a trip to the farmer's market up in Santa Fe and look at how COVID-19 has affected that event and what these farmers, these local farmers have done to cope during that time and how much they're excited to be back uh, in the farmer's market and to have folks and customers there again as we come out the other end. Uh, just a hint of some of the things coming up this week. We'll have a new line opinion panel with lots of great topics there. So I encourage you to check that out. In the meantime, keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. We're all those places. We'll have a lot more content for you there this week. And uh, as always, we encourage you to reach out to us through any of those channels. Let us know what you're seeing, hearing, what we should be covering. We love to hear that and get that feedback. While you're here, before you go, leave us a review. It helps us a lot. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. <laughs>